0: Merry Christmas, everybody. I've got the honor and privilege to bring you the word this morning and then very excited to let you know that at the end, we're going to have some more worship and candlelight worship and things like that. That's going to be special. And so I'm excited about that. Title of my message this morning is an unexpected Christmas, an unexpected Christmas. Maybe let's just kind of suspend belief for a second with me if you can, if you can join me in this. Just suspend suspend your theology, your doctrine, your belief system just for a moment with me. I wonder if when when Jesus' father said, hey, listen, I'm going to send you to the earth, and you're going to save the world. I wonder if Jesus just thought for a minute, oh, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be a hero, celebrated, uh, put on a throne, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to conquer the enemy. I'm going to do this, this big epic battle. I'm going to fight. I'm going to conquer the enemy. It's going to be the most wonderful, maybe one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. I get to go to earth. I get to do all this awesome stuff. Because you know, when I get to think about saving the world, I think about like Superman. Superman is, is saves the world constantly. How does he do it? Well, he, he makes a big show of it. He puts on his cape his tights he <laughs> does his hair really nice and he fights this huge monster in the middle of the city for the whole world to see and just when it seems like he's about to get defeated he he does something uh, special and and powers back up and kills the monster and the whole world sees it and the whole world celebrates him and the whole world loves him and he puts the world at peace and he just puts his you know puts a kind of a finishing stamp on it. It's done forever. Superman is the greatest and I wonder if that's kind of what Jesus thought. It would be like, now I know I asked you to suspend belief because it doesn't match our theology to think like that. But the reality and the truth of our own life is that's how we think about our own life. Is that we're going to come into the world and we're going to rise up to some sort of elevated power and position to be celebrated, to be applauded, to be told how great we are. To be a wonderful provider for a family one day, to defeat an enemy, to be our children's hero. Now, this is the world we constantly paint for ourselves, but I want to just throw the the, the the reality at all of us this morning. It really never turns out like that. It didn't turn out like that for Jesus. And it doesn't turn out like that for us either. I think about the truth of Jesus' life. And here are some truth statements about the reality of Jesus' life. Is that he was born into a poor family. That he was born not only into a poor family, but grew up in a a very small, insignificant, obscure town. He had a country kind of living most scholars believe that Jesus' house was dug out into the side of a hill and he grew up with a dirt floor. Jesus was uneducated even compared to others, especially those who were in the big city called Jerusalem. His father died when he was young. His family struggled to make ends meet. He was kept hidden from the the public until he was 30 years old only had 3 years of actual public ministry he died at the age of 33 very young his friends that he had made had all abandoned him, especially when he started his public ministry. He had to gather new friends, new disciples, new followers around him. It doesn't appear to me that any of his childhood friends were any of his disciples or any of his followers. Even his own brothers didn't believe upon Jesus as the Savior of the world until after he had died and risen from the dead. So his own family is rejecting him. His own brothers are rejecting him. His friends even abandoned him at his greatest time of need. Jesus performed amazing miracles during his three years of public ministry, but constantly told people to be quiet about it. Don't don't let the word out. Don't tell people I did this. So keeping it almost hidden, keeping it almost obscure, keeping it Keeping himself out of this spotlight, so to speak. Not really what a savior of the world you imagine would do, right? I bet if one of you guys performed a miracle, it would be on social media pretty quickly. Right? The son of God's life work, Jesus Christ himself, the sum of his life work is seen with 120 people in an upper room. 120 That's the sum of his life's work. 120 people in an upper room. Nothing about the story I just told you is crazy or epic or or, or just all these things that we would want it to be for ourselves. Nothing about that story that I just told you. It's almost unexpected. An unexpected Christmas. Christmas. But I want to encourage you with, with, with more this morning. I want to really encourage your hearts this Christmas. God will accomplish His will, but make, but purposefully listen, purposefully make the story different from how we would write it. The reality of our life, the truth of our life, is always different from how you imagined it would go. I remember our first Christmas with my brand- new wife? We had an apartment, and we, we loved our little apartment. We were so excited for our first Christmas. I remember even putting up our first Christmas tree. I remember Christmas services together in the month of December leading up to the Christmas Eve experience like this. Just wonderful time together with my brand new wife. And I remember actually at church, my wife started complaining of her stomach hurting and all these things are happening and, and and day after few days went by and she was getting worse and worse and worse of her stomach hurting and hurting and hurting. And finally I had to rush her to the hospital. And she spent over a week in the hospital having emergency surgery on her on her stomach. And they finally let us go home. And it was only a few days before Christmas. And it felt like everything about Christmas was was kind of being ruined and put on tilt and 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 getting all unexpected on us. And we're at, finally at home for Christmas. But I remember her being at home from the hospital. She still didn't seem like she was healthy to me. Didn't seem like they fixed the problem with the surgery. I could tell something wasn't quite right with my with my wife. Actually, I actually remember even after the surgery, she couldn't stand up straight. She was walking around all day long, like hunched over. And I just remember thinking to myself, <laughs> straighten up, you know, (laughs) just felt, looked like she was really uncomfortable and constantly in pain. She wasn't sleeping at night. It was stressing me out. And we did Christmas morning together. And then about 24 hours after Christmas, The next day, I could tell she was truly, really sick still. And I had to rush her back to the hospital. She had to have another emergency surgery. She was in the hospital for two weeks after the second emergency surgery. And the doctors were explaining to me that her bowel keeps getting twisted. And I asked them, will this keep happening for the rest of our life? And they said it possibly could, yeah. That she'll be in the hospital time after time because of this twisted bowel she has. I thought to myself, this is... This is, everything feels like it's all upside down. Everything feels crazy. And I remember getting a spirit of fear all over me. I mean, I felt the spirit of fear come all over me during the Christmas season. I remember I wasn't sleeping at night. I wasn't eating very much. I was stressed out about my wife just kind of waiting for the next episode of my, my stomach hurts. Just waiting for her to say those words, my stomach hurts. I remember... She'd kind of be going through the healing process because she had two major surgeries and (laughs) she'd be around the house and all of a sudden she would just collapse on the floor in pain. I'm like, are are you okay? What's going on? Are you okay? And, And she said, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I had heard those words, I'm fine, so many times. And it turned out at the end she wasn't fine. I would have to take her to the hospital. But she would say, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I would get this spirit of fear all over me. I couldn't shake it. I was just watching her out of the corner of my eye all day long. I'd call her numerous times all day when I was at work. Are you okay? Is everything okay? She became mad at me because I was worried about her. A whole relationship was just kind of crumbling away. And then we went up to the, the Birch Run outlets right up there in the Frankenmuth area and we were shopping and it was snowing and she was new to Michigan and new to the winter season. And I said, you know what, this would be a perfect opportunity for you to drive home, Jen, in in our truck, and you can get used to the snow, and I'll coach you. It'll be great. And she hops in the car, and we hop on the highway, and I could tell right away, as she's getting onto the highway, she's going too fast. I could just tell with the way the snow was flying and the way the road, the condition of the roads were. And I remember thinking to myself, I, she's probably going too fast. So I was about to say, you know, why don't you slow down a little bit? And as I was about to say, why don't you slow down a little bit? She decided to change lanes at a high speed. And all of a sudden we started spinning and we rolled our truck. And it was a, it was a snowy day and there was about six inches of snow on the ground. And we rolled this thing and landed completely upside down in our car On the side of the of US twenty three or whatever highway is seventy five, and our windows blew out because the roof crunched down and the wind and the snow just immediately rushed into the car. It was freezing cold and we had just gotten these big slushies from Seven (laughs) Eleven, and they were full. We just got them right before we hopped on the highway, and we're an explosion of cherry slushy everywhere. It's kind of unexpected in a car accident, you know, it's, and, and it did it kind of looked like an explosion of blood all over the place, but it wasn't, it was just slushy, and I, I remember thinking to myself, as we're rolling in the car, oh no, my wife's, my wife's stomach, what's going to, oh no, are we going to die right now? And of course, we, we were totally fine, felt a little bit like a miracle, we're upside down in the car, completely fine, our seatbelts just held us right in place, I remember unbuckling and crawling on the roof of the car, but right side up. It was strange and unbuckling my wife and getting out. And I just thought to myself, what is going on with our life? Why can't things just go the way I want them to go? Has anybody ever said that before? Welcome to life. Welcome to the world we live in. There's darkness and there's unexpected churns and there's unexpected things all around us. That was Jan and i's first Christmas. Life has a way of doing this to us. But here's what I learned along the way is God's hand is in it all the time. Marriage is a little bit more difficult than how you really imagined it would be, isn't it? Having kids is more difficult than you imagined it would be. You know, we all want to be a leader. We all want to be a, 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 some hero one day, but... We all want to use, be used by God to do all these amazing things, but the reality of the situation is always different from how we imagined it would be. Even Jesus' disciples were confused as to why he wasn't assembling an army to defeat the Roman Empire who was oppressing the Jewish community. The Israelites, oppressing them. Even they were confused as to the what really are you doing, Jesus? Uh, you are the Messiah. You, you are lined up with the scriptures. I can see it. I'm following you. But this doesn't make sense. Let's get going, Jesus. Come on. And maybe you're confused this Christmas season. Maybe your life isn't churning out the way you thought it would go. Maybe there have been some twists. Maybe there have been some turns some heartaches, plot twists along the way that have left you confused and doubting and angry or sad. And even in this moment, you just feel completely lost. Well, be of good cheer, my friends. You are not alone. I'm going to read you a story out of Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 11. It's a story of a man named Joseph. Joseph had a dream, and starting in verse 5, And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and it stood upright while your sheaves gather around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So God gives Joseph two dreams. And I am absolutely certain as a young teenage boy having a dream like this that he was excited, amped, feeling himself, as the kids might say, ready to go. I, everybody's going to bow down to me. I watched the sun and the moon and 11 stars and all these things have been bowing down to me. You've got to imagine being a young teenage boy. This is exactly whatever young teenage boy has ever wanted, ever, in the history of all humanity. This is it. Even maybe a teenage girl. Come on. But I want to think about how, and, and how Joseph came to power. See, he's given dream at a young age. And I'm sure he's excited. But listen to what happens to Joseph shortly after these dreams. His brothers kidnap him. So jealous of him. They kidnap him. They hide him in a big cistern kind of thing. And then they're, one of the brothers is concerned that they're... Torturing him, and so he quietly kind of goes off. And he instead of letting him die in this big cistern all alone, he pulls him out and he sells him into slavery. This kid gets this kid gets sold into slavery, and he's in slavery for years. And he interprets this dream, and he kind of works his way up the ranks. And I bet he's thinking, "Oh, this is my this is my road into becoming a, a, a king or into becoming a ruler. This is it. This is it." And while he's l- living a up, pure up and and. You know, high character kind of lifestyle and walking the straight and narrow and doing everything right. Does this sound like anybody I'm trying to do everything right? I'm, I, I, I I didn't ask for these dreams, Joseph is thinking. I didn't ask for this. I, this was all just put on me. And look what's happened to me. I, my I mean, this kid needs some counseling. And he's working his way up the ranks. And finally, he seems to find himself in the palace and the the... the the, you know, the Pharaoh's wife takes a liking to, to him, and, but he won't sleep with her. And so she, she falsely accuses him of, of rape. And he gets thrown into the dungeon for years on end and for completely forgotten about. But he's a, he's a skilled dream interpreter because of the gifts and the callings of God in his life. And he finally works his way up and interprets the, the, the Pharaoh's dream. And, and, the, and Pharaoh is so impressed by this kid that he elevates him to second in command. He is finally in power. Now think about Joseph's mindset now. Now that he's finally in power. Does it feel like it? Does it feel maybe like how Joseph felt as a teenager thinking about being in power or is the reality different? He hasn't seen his family for years. I'm sure that he's I'm sure that he needs some serious counseling about how his life has turned out. He's finally in power. Is he full of, full of confidence? Brimming with security? Or is he walking on eggshells? Is he scared? Is he worried? Is he stressed? Is he thinking to himself, I've been kind of up to this spot before and I got knocked way back down. I'm just waiting for the next, you know, rock to fall on my head. Where is it at? Where is it coming from? Where, where, when am I going to be knocked back down Again? He's finally ruling. He's finally reigning. He's finally second in command. He's finally telling the world what to do. But you got to imagine where his heart's at at this point. And I would even say to you today that where Joseph's heart is at is exactly where his heart needs to be at to be a ruler. It's exactly where his heart needs to be at to be in charge because if Joseph was to be put in charge as a teenage boy just a few weeks after giving those dreams do you think he'd be a do you think he'd be a good king? Do you think he'd be able to rule and reign and correctly and with justice and righteously and 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 you know weighing the scales of justice so to speak do you think he'd be able to distribute food properly do you think he'd be able to you know uh, not give out favors as a teenage boy to his best friends and save the best for them and places of honor here and perks there for you know What kind of ruler do you think teenage Joseph would have been compared to the kind of ruler he really truly was when he became second in command? See, God's doing something with Joseph. God's doing something in Joseph's heart with all these challenges, with all these setbacks, with all these unfair, completely unfair things happening to him. His heart is being molded into what the kind of heart God can use. His, his mind is being changed into the kind of mind that can be used. All that, all that self-righteousness is being worked out. All that uh, you know, uh, confidence is being, is being molded and shaped into being a, a good king, into being a selfless kind of ruler. He's working at something in Joseph. Let me encourage you today with this. God knows what he's doing. God is preparing you for leadership, but He's preparing you to be the kind of leader that He needs you to be. He needs His leaders to be humble and gentle, loving and kind and patient, caring and wise. You know, to, to get all these beautiful fruits, to get these things worked in your life, you know what you need to do? You need to die to yourself first. That's what happens in the Bible with these leaders is God works, works out and gets out all their pride, all their selfishness. God works it out. And you know what? He's doing the same thing in you and he's doing the same thing in me. He's working out all these puffed up things things that we give ourselves, all these self-righteous talk we give ourselves, all this stuff we think about ourselves. He says, no, 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 that's not the kind of leader I need in charge. You're going to be a leader one day, but we're going to work out all these things. We're going to get you to a place where by the time you're stepping into leadership, by the time you're in charge, by the time you're a husband, by the time you're a father, oh, we're going to work in you. All these things like gentleness, compassion, you know, love, kindness, and goodness, I like it, don't you? Great leaders know how to serve. Great leaders know how to serve people. The greatest leaders are the best servants. The best servants are the ones who've been broken. The best leaders are the ones who've walked a mile in your shoes. Best ones know what you're going through because they've been there before. This Christmas, church, this Christmas, rejoice because God is churning you into the leader, and the kind of Christian that can make a beautiful impact in the world around you. Rejoice. I would say today that even your pain is a holy place. If you could step back for a minute, just examine your path of life, everything you've gone through, everything that that, that has hurt you along the way or you felt like wasn't fair or felt like, Why did that happen to me? Why am I going through this? Why this? Why that? And and I could list off a hundred things that are unfair that have happened to us. Why, why, why? And just step back and say, maybe God's working in me something greater. Maybe God's churning me into something better. Maybe this experience has softened me. Maybe that Experience has caused me to love more. It's the strangest thing in the world how God can turn the darkest of our seasons, create the softest and most gentle hearts. That's the working of God today, church, isn't it? And maybe you are having an unexpected Christmas. Maybe you are. Well, I want to just truly encourage you today that in, this, in the moment right now, it feels dark and it feels like you're lost and it feels like it just doesn't make any sense. But I want to really encourage you with this, that as time goes on, it will begin to make sense. That, that the pain, time creates distance between you and that painful experience. And as time is, moves on and on and on, as you get more distant from that pain, you become you become loving. You become gentle. You become compassionate towards people. That, that when somebody approaches you and just begins to, you know, unload the burden, their, their struggles, you go, whoa, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. And, and you can wrap your arms around them because as you're so familiar with their pain. You're, tr- you're being turned into Somebody that God can use. Don't let your pain cause you to be bitter. With Jesus by your side, all that can make you better. That's what Jesus does. One of my favorite Christians in the history's past is a young lady named Corey Ten Boom. Her story is incredible. she She wrote this book called Tramp for the Lord. And she told a a story in this book of a woman she had met in Russia during the Cold War. And this was a period of time when Christians were being heavily persecuted in Russia. The old woman, Corey wrote, was reclining on a sofa. Multiple sclerosis had done quite a job on this woman. Her body was twisted in every direction. And she depended on pillows to prop her up. She had no mobility, so her husband's time was consumed by her care. The index finger of her right hand was all that she could control, nothing else. But oh, what she got done with that finger. It moved across a typewriter keyboard all day and late into the night, tapping out words and sentences and paragraphs as she translated the the Bible and other Christian books into her Russian language. Her husband watched and noticed that it often took the wrinkled old finger quite a long time to hit a key but on it moved, letter by letter, through books of the Bible. And then Corey ten Boone came to visit. She looked at the twisted skeletal frame on the sofa, and compassion overcame her. She prayed, Oh Lord, why don't you heal this poor woman? The husband saw how deeply moved the visitor was, and he said, God has a purpose in her sickness. Every other Christian is watched closely by the secret police. But because she has been sick for so long, No one ever looks in on her. They leave us alone. She is the only person who can translate undetected by the police. It's inaccurate to say that God worked despite her weakness. The truth is is that he was glorified through her weakness in a powerful way. You feel sorry for that woman just as I did. But the very thing we'd wish and pray away, the very thing that apparently was destroying her life, The prickly thorn causing so much pain was a holy place that allowed a very weak woman to become a pillar of strength in God's kingdom. This is how God works. This is how God uses me and you. This is how God used his son Jesus to save you and I. This is how God used Jesus when he walked this earth. This is how God uses me and you. God will use storms to get us into the right place. Mark 4 verses 35 through 41 says, the day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This Christmas, God is more interested in your heart than he is the storm all around us. We, though, are more interested in the storm than our heart. We ask God to calm the storm and he hounds us about our personal strongholds. We stress about the state of our family or maybe the state of America and God speaks to us about our secret sins. This Christmas, open your eyes Open your heart to what God is trying to do with your life. I had told you about my wife and I's first Christmas together. And I had quickly told you that a spirit of fear had truly come over me. And it affected every area of my life. And it was negatively affecting my marriage. My spirit of fear was creating tension between my wife and I. I was always concerned about her health, always concerned about her pain, always concerned about how she was feeling, what she was thinking, how she was doing. It, it, it shadowed and covered every conversation we had, everything we did together. We would think about going out and doing something fun, and I would hesitate to say, maybe we should just take it easy because of your health. We would a simple conversation would always point back to my fear of her health, and it would cause tensions and it would cause arguments and it would cause struggles, and it was affecting not only my relationship with, with my wife, but it was affecting how I would come to work during the day. It was affecting my relationships with my friends. it was affecting every area of my wife of my life. and I remember Jen calling it out one day and saying, you need to get healed of your fear. Isn't that interesting? The one who's sick is telling me that I need to get healed. And she was right. That I was asking God to calm the storms. I was asking God to, to take away certain things. And all the while, I could always feel God saying, I'm more concerned about your heart. I'm more concerned about your heart. You need, to, you need to come to me. Give this to me. Give this to me. And I remember I finally had reached this tipping point and I was at church one evening and the preacher was preaching and he gave an altar call for healing, physical healing, but also he gave an altar call for a spirit of fear. And I remember coming forward with my wife, I remember two things happened. As I felt the Lord told me, Jen is completely healed. I felt the Lord tell me that. And I felt the Lord tell me, and I am healing you too. And from that day forward, those two things have stood to be true year after year. Is that she never had another episode with her stomach ever again. And from that day forward, I had to put my trust in God more. What about you this Christmas season? You got a spirit of fear? You got a spirit of sorrow this Christmas season? That's not the way God wants you to live. There's healing today. Jesus went about, when he walked this earth, healing everyone. As a matter of fact, one of the gospels says, that there's not even enough books in the world that could fill all the stories of everything Jesus did while he was alive. The disciples didn't even record half of the miracles Jesus performed. He just went about healing everybody. And his same Jesus is walking up and down the aisles today, in in and out of the pews. And as he walks by you, he's looking for people who say, I'm desperate. For healing. I'm tired of worrying and stressing and full of fear and anxiety. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being fearful. I'm tired of all that. I'm tired of hating my life. You know what you need to do? You just need to surrender. I know it sounds so simple, but it's the God's honest truth. Just walking forward up here that one evening and just saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I got what I, I got that healing touch totally changed from the inside out. You see, we're concerned about the storms and God's concerned about your heart today. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, Lord, calm the storm. Oh, Lord, calm the storm. He did, and they looked at him and said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? See, this, this the storm is easy to calm for Jesus. He's looking to get to your heart today, which is much more of a mystery <laughs> than any sickness. Heart, The heart is much more of a mystery. It's much more difficult to heal, but that's what he wants to focus on today. Are you having an unexpected Christmas? Well, let me just encourage you today that it can become the greatest Christmas because God can heal your heart today. Let's bow our heads and let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you that you are a healer I thank you that you care for us. Lord, I know there's storms all around. You are not concerned about the storm, Jesus. You are very much concerned about our heart. You're very much concerned about our eternity. Savior of the world, he's come to save us. From eternity in hell, he wants us to have eternity in heaven today I want you to forget about the storms all around you and I want you to surrender your heart to Jesus today. Why doesn't everybody pray this prayer with me this morning? A prayer for healing, a prayer for salvation. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. Heal it. It is messed up. I am full of fear and pain and I'm hurting, and it's dark, shine your light right inside my heart. Fill me with your light. Fill me with your love. Forgive me of being concerned of things that don't matter. This Christmas, I give you my heart, and I pray you heal me of all my fears, of all my sins, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today and you gave your life to Jesus, I really want to encourage you, before you go home today, we've got what we call guest service stations out the back exits. we got three of them out our back exits, one out each exit. And it's just a table with really friendly, amazing people standing at these tables and they've got free bibles for anybody today who prayed that prayer of salvation or maybe you just need to go to that up to that table today and just say hey i want to let somebody know i feel like the lord has healed me of fears and anxieties and and all these things that have just been attacking me in 2023 all these things just jumped on me in 2023 and i just got completely healed today just tell somebody about that. Grab a free Bible if you prayed that prayer with me and you really truly meant it today. Let somebody know. And if you're a guest today even, please head out to those, one of those guest services at the back exits. We got gifts for all of our visitors today. Just our way of saying thank you so much for coming to Cornerstone Church. I want to conclude by reading this last verse to you and then we're going to head into our candlelight worship service which is going to be really wonderful. But Isaiah 55 verse 9 says this, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Fall back into the arms of Jesus' Christmas, church. His ways are higher and better and greater, and his thoughts are better and higher and greater. Let's worship him.